Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. It could be months before Canadians have access to a proof of vaccination system for international travel. We are working with provinces across the country on proofs of vaccination, uh, and we are working to standardize them so that they are available uh, to people to travel internationally in a uh, unified format that will allow for that. Calls for Canada to take a tougher stand against China. We have not worked with our allies on Huawei. We have not stood up for the 300,000 Canadians in Hong Kong. And when might we find out who will make up the next Liberal cabinet. I find it hard to believe, though, that some of these more high-profile ministers uh, who have had to be doing a lot of the, the public work of government while it was in caretaker mode wouldn't stay in their jobs just for some continuity. It's Tuesday, October the 12th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So Dominic LeBlanc is saying that it's going to be a little while before we have a single system to prove that we've been vaccinated in order to travel internationally. Dominic LeBlanc, of course, is the is the intergovernmental affairs minister, at least for the moment. We'll talk more about speculation <laughs> on the cabinet uh, post-election in a few minutes. But um this is obviously not an easy thing to pull off, uh, to, to set up a, out of nowhere, set up a system that will allow Canadians to prove their vaccination. Um, but what do, you, what do you take from LeBlanc's comments that he made in a televised interview on the weekend? Yeah, well, it, you know, again, as you said, the unavoidable conclusion is that federalism is hard and getting all the provinces to agree on anything except that they need more money for health care is, uh, is a problem. But uh, this is something the federal government has been saying since the spring, that, that um, some kind of mechanism is in place. I, the ministers with whom I've spoken on this, I talked to Omar Al-Gabra about it, I think, a couple of months ago, and Immigration Minister Marco Mendicino has been doing a lot of work. It's not just complicated by the fact that we have a lot of provinces with different standards, in the country and different. Um, it's also complicated by the fact that Canada has, a lot of people in this country have mixed vaccines. There are vaccines that some people have received in, uh, not Canadians, in, in other countries that are not recognized here, vice versa. So coming up with something that is internationally acceptable and pan-Canadian, in a pan-Canadian way, yeah. acceptable, uh, it, it's it's like a Rubik's Cube. So um, I'll be surprised if they pull it off within weeks or by the end of the year, but that has been their promise that, you know, sometime this fall it's coming. Yeah, and this isn't the only um, area that the government needs to work on quickly, and I know that uh, bringing Parliament back is not, is not going to help move the yardsticks forward on this particular thing, but... I do find it interesting that we still don't know when Parliament's going to resume. There's a pretty loose timetable for that. And yet there was so much of a sense of urgency about the election and about how there were so many things, including uh, vaccination mandates for travel within Canada and for federal public servants that that the, the, the prime minister said needed to be addressed right away. You know, I, I, I in talking, as you have, I'm sure, to to members of the government been saying, hey, wait a minute, you spent five weeks saying that 
we needed an election because things had to be done really quickly, not within months or years, but within weeks. So I would, I am, like you, a bit curious why, um, I wouldn't say it's leisurely, but it's it doesn't seem urgent. Not necessarily getting Parliament back, but getting a cabinet. And, and La Presse had a, a report um, late last week saying that we were not going to be seeing a new cabinet until the week of October 25th, which is more than a month after the last election. And one would think that it wouldn't take that long, but it does seem it's it's going to be late October before we get a cabinet. And that means, I'm guessing, that we barely get a parliamentary sitting before Christmas. Mm. Yeah, and the, the only timetable the, the Prime Minister has outlined is is this fall, which, of course, takes you all the way up to four or five days before Christmas, right? So uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we do have, you know, there are matters to be attended to. I, I don't know that you need Parliament to be sitting on that. I think a lot of Canadians, especially snowbirds, are getting anxious to find out about when is the U.S. Uh, border going to be more fully open to Canadians who want to go south? Uh, when are we going to get our acts together on what vaccines are recognized by the states, uh, etc.? There's some word that we might get more on that this week. Uh, November is traditionally also a time of a lot of international summits or a lot of international gatherings. We've got the Prime Minister going to Glasgow for the big climate conference at the end of October. So it may be that the action uh, is more of an international or Canada-U.S. Um, yeah, more of a, a Canada-U.S. international uh, flavor right. before Parliament gets back. Now, uh, speaking of international stuff, and we'll talk more about the cabinet in a moment, but um, there are people who are now saying that uh, since Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor are back in Canada, and that's been resolved, uh, there are analysts and observers saying that Canada should now join with countries like the United States and Australia to take more of a, a tough stance, a con- even a confrontational stance toward China. Um, what, what do you think's going on within the government on that issue? This is one you, ha- you almost need subtitles when you're listening to ministers, and you need uh, maybe also time-lapse photography, because I think if you compared the way the government has been talking about China recently compared to how it did six months ago, it is a lot less cautious now. I, um, uh Foreign Minister uh, uh, Mark Garneau, Global Affairs Minister Mark Garneau, is is far more categorical about what he sees wrong with China. And the Prime Minister, you know, tosses off uh, an angry word here and there about China that you wouldn't have heard him saying before the Michaels were released, or they were being far more diplomatic about it. So it may be that Canadians uh, want it, but they're already seeing it a bit too. I, I do think that the Michaels, the case of the Michaels, anybody who didn't know about it and then saw them released and realized what they'd been through, I think it has heightened the sense of what the heck was that and uh, do we have to put up with this anymore? So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that on this one, Canadians kind of get their wish that they are going to see the government talking a little more toughly toward China. 
Yeah, and one of the areas where that might be relevant is in the decision over whether Huawei can be part of the 5G telecommunications network in Canada. And according to a poll that was reported by the Globe and Mail over the weekend, over the long weekends, um, more than 75% of Canadians think they, that Huawei should be banned. And other countries have done it. So that's that's kind of an interesting file for, yeah, for the government. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it touches, it, 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 it ticks so many boxes, as they say. It, uh, uh, Canadians' suspicion of big tech, you know, the big story in the news last week, although that was a U.S. firm, Facebook. But um, but it, it just touches on a number of, of things on, on which Canadians are getting more paranoid. Their privacy, uh, it, international uh, intrusion into our democracy, all of those things, the, the heightening tension between Canada and China, those that's sort of collision of issues in that decision there. So I'm not surprised to see Canadians getting more hardline about that because it 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 has so many other elements to it. Yeah. All right. What are you hearing, Susan, about who might get which job in the cabinet and when we might all get to hear about it? Huh. Well, I guess we are going to not hear about it until the end of October. That does seem pretty definite. I think people like me are wondering. I, I actually did ask about a week ago, are we supposed to make something of the fact that of the ministers they are now bringing out to make announcements and say things? Um, does that mean they're staying in their jobs? And I was told by the prime minister's office, no, that doesn't mean they are. So just because Patty Haidu was out talking about health, doesn't mean she's still going to be the health minister. Just because Jonathan Wilkinson is doing all this stuff on environment doesn't mean he's still the environment minister. I find it hard to believe, though, that some of these more high-profile ministers uh, who have had to be doing a lot of the, the public work of government while it was in caretaker mode wouldn't stay in their jobs just for some continuity. So what we're looking for, I guess, is to see is it, would Trudeau dump any of his ministers? I think that's an intriguing um, line of speculation. Are there ministers that, you know, like a Harjit Sajjan, is he going to be shuffled? Is he going to be out of cabinet? It seems unlikely he would be in defense again. Are they going to use this as an occasion to bring in some newcomers to give some people hope in this government? It's Everything about the election felt like it was so deja vu. Does Trudeau want to do a deja vu cabinet? I guess that's the the things we're all speculating about. Do you take a Dominic LeBlanc, who is obviously front and center and he's everywhere, and move him, given what a high-profile role he's he's taken? You know, those who know aren't saying, and those who say don't know. So I'm, I'm reluctant to believe anything I hear until maybe days before. But my big question is, how much is Trudeau going to use this to shake up a government and, and, and give the sign that, that the election was not just uh, business as usual? Yeah. All right. Very interesting. We'll see what happens in the uh, days and weeks ahead. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Campbell Clark argues Justin Trudeau needs to bring in new faces to revive a faded cabinet. Clark writes, When he shuffles his cabinet this month, Justin Trudeau will have the hardest personnel puzzle of his tenure. 
He needs to be ruthless enough to let go some of his current ministers, bring in new faces, and, especially, find ministers who can provide more dynamic direction in key portfolios. He has already made Christia Freeland his cabinet alter ego, but he has let the rest of his cabinet wither in power and profile. Unless he reverses that trend, it will keep making his government weaker. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues Joe Biden is playing pipeline politics. The Sun writes, Biden's first act on becoming U.S. president was to scrap the Keystone XL pipeline, a move that massively damaged Canada's energy sector. Last month, he gave the green light to Europe's Nord Stream 2 natural gas pipeline when he lifted the sanctions imposed by Donald Trump, who worried it would hand too much influence to the Russian president. Biden needs to decide who his friends are. He must come to the table and end his betrayal of Canada, America's biggest trading partner and oldest ally. Instead, he plays nice with a Russian dictator. At the Hill Times, Rose LeMay argues it might be time for Justin Trudeau to bring on an Indigenous elders circle to provide advice. LeMay writes, It would be a move that might bring some humility into the office, a longer-term perspective than just the next amazing announcement. It would be an incredible opportunity for any leader to learn from elders about leadership, about balance, about making decisions with the land and the seven generations in mind. And an elder's circle might help build that trust which has been broken. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will participate virtually in the G20 leaders meeting on Afghanistan. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, October the 12th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.